0: Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive his favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve.
1: We'll have a video available afterward if you'd like to see the video, because I'm going to probably be... Uh, sharing truths quicker than your brain's going to wrap around. Um, so I always encourage our family to subscribe to the YouTube channel so that you can go and listen to this message multiple times because I, I usually go way quicker than most people's ability to process, which is fine. I'm totally cool with that, which is why I don't make anybody amen me and do all that kind of stuff because I want you to chew. <clears throat> we We should be like cows. You get four stomachs and you hear something and you... You chew it and then you swallow it and then you're like, well, I didn't get all that. Then you swallow it and you, like, ah, I need some more. That's, that's actually the word in the Hebrew for meditate. It means to mutter or it means to mull over. And a cow chewing a cud actually is to mull over. And so we are supposed to be chewing and chewing and chewing and meditating and meditating and meditating on the word. It says, uh, in Isaiah 26.3 that God will keep you in perfect peace. When your mind has stayed on him. If you're stressed, worried, concerned, or any other number of adjectives, you aren't going to like me saying this. I'm sorry, kind of. But it's just because your mind's not stayed on him. If you're concerned about the direction of our nation, worried, stressed out, I would encourage you to put your mind on him. God's got a plan for our nation that's way better than some of our political leaders. You keep your mind stayed on him, you'll be in perfect peace. And It says in Colossians 2, I believe it's verse 15, it says that the peace of God, if it rules and it reigns in your heart, it actually has the ability to lead you. If you look back over your life and you see some of the most terrible mistakes that you've ever made, I'll guarantee you, you probably made that decision quickly, emotionally, or in the flesh. You have never made a great, great, great decision while you were meditating on Jesus and you were at perfect peace and you knew that the Spirit led you that way. So this is how we become incredibly successful. So if you have your... Uh, if you have your Bible out, I would like to, I'd like for you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 4. I'm going to tell you something really powerful. <clears throat> the name of uh, this message uh, is going to be <laughs> the Great Awakening. If you, if you don't know uh, American history, uh, we have had some great awakenings, and I believe that we are standing on the precipice of the the Great Awakening. The church... The reason the government was able to easily dismiss the church is because most of the Christians easily dismiss the church. Amen. I hate to say amen, but amen. I know that the church usually... In rankings, in most Christians' heart, it comes under football, under the great-grandkids uh, track event, under the feeding and the walking of the dog, under the sleeping in on my day off, under I just don't feel like it right now, under I don't really want to put on Sunday glows, under, 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 under. And so then the government came along and said, okay, well, we're going to put it where you put it. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of people got mad. Kind of quiet up in this little old purple church. If America as a whole, there's 70, statistically 77% of Americans call themselves Christians. Yeah. Probably not. If the government was able to come in and just easily dismiss the church, and I've been attacked incessantly by Christians for our stance for the church, then obviously 77% is probably a little bit progressive. So, congratulations. You are a weirdo. And you are going, amen, you are going to be part of what I believe the Father has desired to have happen in this nation for multiple generations for sure, which is where people honor God, people honor God's word, and people honor God's family, which is the church. The Bible calls the church the bride. And there's a bunch of people that have dismissed the bride. And they wonder why the groom isn't excited about where they're at. Amen? The, uh, my little subtitle for this is, Let Freedom Reign. We know the great American tune, Let Freedom Ring... That's awesome, and I want freedom to ring out, but I want freedom to reign. I want freedom to reign. I want to show you how important this is to God. Uh, This is not a political message. I want you to understand that this is, like Pastor Bob said, this is a church that believes in ministers, teaches the finished work of the cross. And I know a lot of people don't fully understand that, and that's okay. You hang out with us long enough. And you'll understand all the things that Jesus did. He actually paid for way, way, way more on the cross than most people live in. And I, for one, I don't want the Lord to pay for something by his flesh and blood and torture. And then for me to dismiss it. So if he purchased it, if he paid for it, I actually think that it would be great to honor him by allowing that to take place in my life. I don't want him to pay for anything in his blood that I just say, well, that's not for me. I don't want that. If it was important enough for him to, to bleed for it, it's important enough for me to believe for it. The, the first message that Jesus ever preached at home is in Luke chapter 4. This is after he was filled with, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'll just insert this real quick, and some people may or may not like this, um, but I'm not here to please you. Um, Jesus needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit to do ministry. If Jesus needs it, we need it. If that, uh, if that messes with you. Just talk to me afterwards. I'll tell you, it's not as kooky as a bunch of other people make it sound. The Holy Spirit's not kooky. The Bible calls him the comforter. Being baptized, immersed, and saturated with the comforter, man, ain't nothing like that. And you probably need that. But in Luke chapter 4, this is the first message that Jesus ever preached at home. This is his first sermon. This was like the message that he had when he went back home. You know, I, I know some of you probably have never traveled and ministered and done that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Like when you go, when you start getting into ministry, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell on every preacher. Amen. They probably ain't watching my YouTubes anyway because they're mad at me. Um, if, when you start to learn to minister, you tend to do it like in an environment where if, it, if you screw it up, you can kind of walk away and it's okay. So like when I first started learning to minister, you know, you get you get invited to somebody like way across. I I went to Bible college in in Dallas, Fort Worth. And so, you know, you were looking for places where they invited you to like a Bible study, like way across the Metroplex. Because that way when you went over there and you made a fool out of yourself and you said dumb stuff, you could just disappear. Nobody's like, well, who is that guy? I don't know. He's weird. He's from Fort Worth. (laughs) You, You can just leave and go away. And I'm not saying like Jesus had to do any testing and trial to figure out how to be a good minister. Obviously, he was God. He, he probably had to figure it figured out. But the point is, is that when you go back home and you stand in front of the people that you've done life with, and you stand in front of your family, and you're at your home church, and you're at your, your home neighborhood, and you're in that place where you grew up, and you're at that place where everybody knows you, you're going to really make sure that what's coming out of you has the power to affect those lives. And that's what Jesus did. He went back home. He went to His home church. He stood up in front of His home congregation. First time ever. And takes the book of Isaiah... And opens it up and he finds the place. This was on purpose. With purpose. He finds the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because He has anointed me. The word anoint means to rub in the oil. The Father rubbed in the oil of the Holy Spirit. Because he has anointed me to preach, to declare, to proclaim. It's so good. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news. That's the gospel. And here's where we've made a bunch of mistakes in the church. We think that this building, the point of this building in the past I've seen, and I've been a part of, ministries and ministers who think that the point of this building is to tell you how much of a sinner you are. And to tell you how much you fail. And to tell you how much you stink in the nostrils of God. To tell you how you don't measure up. To tell you how worthless you are. To tell you how terrible your heart is. <clears throat> Beloved, that is bad, bad news. And Satan tells you that every day. And I am not going to be Antichrist. I'm going to stand here in this building and I'm going to tell you how greatly you're loved. I'm going to tell you how valuable you are. I'm going to tell you what your Father thinks about you. He's well pleased with you. For God so loved you that He traded Jesus for you. The value of all of heaven. Jesus, the most priceless thing that was
0: ever, ever,
1: ever in heaven. The Father was willing to trade it for you. Now, God is not a Jew, but he tends to lean Jewish. And if you know any Jewish people, you know they make good deals. So the Father knew that he was making a good deal by trading Jesus for you. And if you ever devalue yourself again, you need to understand you're doing that against God's will. I would encourage you not to do it. Ephesians 4.24 says, You are righteous and truly holy. You are not a sinner. You were a sinner. And the Father made you a son. You're either a saint or you ain't. If you ain't, you go down. If you is, you go up. I can tell you that if you believe on the name and on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans ten seventeen says, that you allow that word to come in and change you. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that anybody that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you were a sinner, now you're a saint. Washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and if sin can get through the blood of Jesus Christ, we're all damned. Jesus told them the good news. Not the bad news that they were worthless. The good news that the Father sent him to do some incredible things. What specific good news? The word gospel means good news. He was anointed. He was rubbed in with the oil of the Holy Spirit to tell you good things. To preach good news to poor people. If you've ever been poor, I know none of you in here have ever been poor. But I've been poor. I used to get hand-me-down underwear. We had government cheese and government peanut butter. And you shouldn't eat both of those on the same day. Because the government toilet paper, don't cover it. I've been poor. Maybe not as poor as some, I'm not trying to... But I've been poor. What's good news to someone who's poor? You don't have to be poor. That's good news to a poor person. If you're in poverty, what's good news is, hey, I'm here to help you out of poverty. People get upset at preachers who talk about prosperity while they leave church and go work for 40 hours a week doing something they don't want to do, doing it for someone they don't want to do it for, so that they can have money. And they get mad at the preacher because the preacher is trying to tell them that God the Father wants them in prosperity. It's such an oxymoron. It's interesting for me to see that dynamic play out. If you do not want to live in a wealthy way, that's fine. That is totally fine. The Father didn't tell you that you had to be flamboyant. But you should at least be believing for wealth to give it away. If you like your car, you like your house, you like your clothes, you like your lifestyle, great! You don't have to believe God for wealth and change your lifestyle. That would be super carnal. Give it to me. I'll change the world with it, I promise you. As much money as you can give me is as many people's lives as I'll change. So if you don't want it, you don't want to change your lifestyle. I'm, I actually applaud you for that. I wouldn't. If I got ten million dollars tomorrow, wouldn't change nothing. I got me an F one fifty. I like it. I got me a pretty house. I like it. I got me. I've already got my trophy wife. She's everything that you could ever call a trophy, and so I'm gonna keep it. I like my clothes. I like my shoes. I like. I might get a bigger a bigger gun, but. if I'm going to fight the fight of the First Amendment, I might as well fight the fight for the Second Amendment. So, (laughs) amen, which we believe in that around here, by the way, Um, you don't have to, you know, wealth, actually the lowest form of prosperity and the lowest form of wealth is money. I really want that to sink in because when somebody says the word prosperity, they immediately go to money. The father says prosperity and like the last thing on the list is money. He's talking about your soul. He's talking about your emotions. He's talking about your marriage. He's talking about your relationships with your children and your parents. He's talking about the way that you interact with your community. The, the Bible says in Luke 2.52 that Jesus grew up in stature. And in favor with God and man. Growing in favor with God and man is a form of prosperity. You should be a person that believes in prosperity. You don't have to be a person that believes in money. In fact, I would super, super encourage you to take money out of the equation. But you better believe for prosperity. 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray above all things that you prosper... So you know who else was a prosperity preacher? John. But we've just changed that into money. Don't do that. Money is the lowest form of prosperity. Your Father wants you prosperous. So good news to a poor person is you do not have to be poor anymore. To preach the good news to the poor, He has sent me to heal the broken-hoarded. Internal and external healing is something that Jesus was anointed to do. If you have a problem in your physical body, God desires to make that go away. That's good news. And I know a lot of people super struggle with that. God doesn't. (laughs) It was no problem for Jesus to go everywhere, healing everyone all the time. If you can find me one time in the Bible where somebody came up and was sick to Jesus, and he said, no, then I will concede that maybe you can stay sick. But if you can't find me that in Jesus' ministry, and Jesus, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, was the expressed, perfect image of God. So if Jesus never said no, God never says no. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If He was the same yesterday, which is His earthly ministry, and He went everywhere and healed everybody... Then what is he doing today? Thank you very much. Acts ten thirty eight says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. And I know we don't want to like to hear about the devil in church, but the devil wants people sick and oppressed, and Jesus wants people. Healed and free. And you have a choice as to which kingdom you align with. (laughs) How Jesus of Nazareth. Here's what's radical about Acts 10.38. Jesus, a man, of Nazareth, a town. Not Christ of heaven. Jesus, of Nazareth. This is specifically and purposefully identifying Jesus' humanity. That is radical. How a human from Nazareth went around doing good and healing. So, what does God call good? Healing. So then, if that's true, then what would be bad? I know a bunch of you are like, well, is this a trick question? No! It's not a trick question. If healing is good... I mean, I, I, this flies really, really good at kids' church. I, I can teach kids all day long this stuff, and they, like, get it. But adults, were like, well, wait a minute. You know, sometimes cancer is good. No. What? Have you ever seen anybody with cancer? Have you ever had cancer? Do you ever? It ain't never good. It's terrible. It's bad. God good, <laughs> double bad. If it's bad, it's double. I know this is really complicated, <laughs> but you have to say it because sometimes in church we're so religious that we say, "Well, no, God, God really, He loves me so much that He broke my leg and gave me a car wreck." He is a father. God is a father. You're His kid. If I came over to your house and I watched you as a father break your kid's leg and send him out in the street to get ran over by a truck, I would punch you in the face. Tie you up and call 911 so they can haul you off to at least a padded room, if not to an electric chair. Because you're a terrible father. And to call God a terrible father and use religion to make good, bad, and bad good is not okay, beloved. The Bible says He did good healing some people every once in a while when it was a good day. Oh. Did you guys read that in the Bible? You make it up. Healing. Does anybody know what all means in the Greek? Are you in awe? Uh-oh. I just heard somebody's religious cow fall over and die right there. Barbecue for
0: dinner.
1: Shoot her in the head, fry her up. If I just hurt your religion, it's okay. Your religion needs to be hurt. It actually needs to die. Jesus wants you healed. It was his first message. Not only does he want your body healed, but he wants your heart healed. The broken hearted. And I could unplug right here and I could get into your soul, into the thing. Most of us are a composition of things that we've experienced in our lives growing up. What your daddy did to you when you was five actually has more impact to you than what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. And that's not okay, beloved. That is not Okay. Jesus came to heal that. If your daddy did something to you at five, my encouragement to you would be to just go ahead and die and become a new creation in Christ Jesus and then whatever happened to that person when they were five has already died and then you're a new person and your father has never done anything evil to you ever because your father is the father in heaven and he only does good things because he's a good father and only good kids come down from the father of lice with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So then when you remember back when you were five, after you were born again, all you remember is the goodness of your father surrounding you in love and encouraging you. And then you can just walk away from your past and you don't have to repeat your past because you remember your past. Because whatever you fixate yourself on, you tend to repeat. Healed people heal people. Hurting people hurt people. Broken-hearted people break hearts. So Jesus came to heal the broken-hearted. Now, here's where it gets interesting, because we're going to let freedom reign. To preach deliverance to captives, not just in Illinois all the people on house arrest and quarantine. But anybody in any captivity in any way. Captivity is not from God. Isolation is not from God. Quarantine is not from God. We can do this all day because they keep coming up with new ways to talk. Social distancing? Did anybody ever think about how they take some of these terms. You know the word, the, the term social distance is a literal oxymoron. It's a literal oxymoron. But we've all been sold a, a bill of... They can come up to you and say, well, it's a white black cow. Oh, well, it's a white black cow. And we're like, okay, well, they said it on the news. So they said white black cow, so it's a white black cow. Well, what color is it? It's white black. Social distancing. Social means together. (laughs) Is this is this too complicated? Are we okay? Social means together. The other word means not together. You gotta pick one. You can either social or you can distance. Can't do both. Gotta pick one. So we picked one. We're gonna social. While I'm at it, let me give you another oxymoron. Online, church. Online, remote. Look it up in the dictionary. Online literally means like being able to do things by wire or by remote. Church literally means congregation. Remote, congregation. Congregation. That would be about the same as social distancing. Yeah. White black cow. White black cow. Don't listen. One of the ways that... I'm going to unplug just for a second. I'll be right back. One of the ways that the enemy gets territory in your heart and your mind is by redefining things that God has already defined. Don't let it happen, beloved. Health care. Killing a baby in the womb. Health care. And I know I'm in a church and you guys are like, Oh my God. But you realize that the rest of the world believe that health care is murdering a baby in a womb. They call that health care. We call it murder. They call it health care. Care. Do you know approximately 36,000 women die every year from an abortion? Not the babies. The mamas. Health care. Gay marriage. Are we okay? Everybody okay? I don't want to... Okay. And I, listen, I... We have, we minister to gals that have gone through abortions. It, you don't, there's nothing wrong with those people. They've just allowed redefinitions to change their, their ideas, their moralities, their hearts. We're, I'm not here to, to condemn anybody. I'm here to create light. God said that when He made them, male and female, that's what He created marriage to be. God said that. Now, God created marriage, so if you create something, you get to define it. Anybody in here, you create something, you can define it any way you want to define it. God already defined marriage. That's what He calls it. I'm okay with God defining things He creates. And I'm okay with standing with Him in those definitions. So don't let society do this to you. Don't let them redefine things that changes your heart that then draws you into their doctrines and their beliefs, and then you find yourself in confusion and conflict. Confusion and contention, it says in James 3.16, the other famous 3.16 verse, James 3.16, where there is strife, contention, and confusion, there is every evil work That should shake you to your core. Strife, which, look, we're all Yankees. Like, that's just a day. Like, strife, it's okay. You just scream at folks in the house, because that's how we do it around here. Right? You tell your kid, get out there! Clean your bedroom! Make your bed, you little stupid idiot dumb kid and we wonder why they're a stupid idiot dumb and they hate you and they hate society and... and the amazing part is we do it to the ones we love if you invited me over to your house and I spent the night and I came down and you said you stupid pastor guy you get up there and you make that bed and clean that room probably not coming back for the next sleepover And we wonder why our kids are messed up. Strife and contention creates every evil work. I have literally, literally watched people get healed in front of my eyes. Supernaturally healed. Because they repented of being in strife and contention. I have literally watched it. Some of the people in this room, some of the problems you're struggling with in your emotions and in your physical body, it's because you've allowed strife and contention to be a normal part of your life. You should hate strife and contention like you hate a king cobra full of venom. If I told you at your house while you were at church I paid someone to go and release in your house a king cobra you would not rest until you found that king cobra in your house you would not go to bed you would have not have another meal you would not and strife and contention is worse than A venomous snake. And we go home so we can have strife and contention. This is not going over well. Okay, we'll get back. Jesus came to heal brokenheartedness. One of the ways you heal a broken heart is forgiveness. The cool thing about forgiveness is it doesn't have to be earned. Forgiveness is something you give. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I'll forgive them when they come up and ask for it? No, you won't. You won't. Just because they asked for it don't mean you'll actually forgive them. You won't release them from the debt. You'll actually say, ha, told you so. I was right. That's pride. Okay. When did God forgive you? When you asked or 2,000 years ago before you were born? Are we okay? Are we okay? Some of you are looking at me like a a calf at a new gate. Like, I don't know if it swings or what. (laughs) He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives. The first message that Jesus preached at home contained freedom. Liberty. And we're in a nation at this moment in time that freedom and liberty is like as far away as the founding fathers themselves. And here's why that's a terrible thing. It's not terrible because we're not living as free Americans. where Our citizenship is not being honored. That's not why it's terrible. The reason it's terrible is because Jesus literally came to create freedom and liberty. And we've allowed it to go away. We have sat idly by without a fight And we've allowed liberty and freedom to evaporate. And I'm talking about both sides of this. In a governmental citizenship way, but I'm also talking about this from the kingdom of God perspective. You are supposed to be free from sickness and disease. You are supposed to be free from poverty and lack. You are supposed to be free from oppression and depression. You're supposed to be free from unforgiveness and strife. You're supposed to be liberated from those things. And I know there's a bunch of people in this room that you've came to support our freedoms and our liberties as citizens of the United States, but let me ask you this. Are you also as adamant about your freedoms as a citizen of heaven as you are about a citizen of this country? Are you willing to fight for your health? Are you willing to fight without, so that you're not in oppression and depression? Are you willing to fight so that strife and contention never gets into your heart or home? Galatians five one. This is commentary from the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. That's the point. The point was to make you free. In fact, this freedom that Jesus gave you is literally dangerous. It's literally dangerous. Jesus actually freed you so much that you can go live in sin if you choose. You can. He literally freed you that if you choose, you can go live in sin and His blood will still cover all of your sins. You're ignorant, you're terrible, and you have violated His blood. But he still honors his blood. Just because you dishonor the blood doesn't mean that he dishonors the blood. That's the dangerousness of the freedom that he gives you. It is literally dangerous. That's why in multiple places in the Scripture it says, Use not your liberty to violate another person's conscience. Don't use your liberty for selfish gain. You don't use your liberty to highlight yourself. It challenges us to use our liberty for the right reasons. Why should we live in liberty and freedom? Because free people make free people. Liberated people liberate people. That's why God was willing to give us something dangerous because he also realized how powerful and beneficial it is in our society, in our families, in our futures. So he was willing to give you something dangerous. He was willing to give you something that if you wanted to, you could manipulate it and use it and do terrible terrible things with it. You can take your freedom and go out and kidnap a child and put them into sex slavery. Cuz you're free, you can walk around, get your car, nab children. It's not the intention of your freedom. It's not what it was given to you for. It is an abuse of freedom, but it's still a dangerous freedom. The whole point of the gospel was to bring freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus was talking to the, uh, the Jews that were starting to kind of come around. This would be like the rest of the church that ain't here tonight. These are folks that like, yeah, I get that God stuff and church is important, but I don't know about all that creepy stuff that Jesus is preaching. Because it goes contrary to everything I've learned before. So if you're hearing things that are contrary to stuff that you've heard before, (laughs) welcome to the kingdom. (laughs) It's just another day in the life of being a Christian. God tells you stuff and you're like, wait a minute, that's totally wrong. No, God's right. All the Jews that came to him that were believing in what he said, he said, hey, if you continue in my words, if you continue in my words, that will create. The word make is creation. It will make freedom. The words that God speaks to you, about you, for you, they literally carry with them dynamic supernatural power that breaks through captivity, imprisonment, isolation, and births freedom. This nation was birthed by men and women of God who said that freedom was an inalienable right from nature's God. That's why we have all of this protection, this legal protection for freedom. Because the folks that birthed this nation said there is literally no other way that any human being should ever live but completely free. So we're going to make a natural system of government that parallels a kingdom system of government, of freedom. God did not come into your life to restrict you. God came into your life to destroy the restrictions. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. If you continue in the words of Jesus Christ, it creates and creates and creates and creates freedom. And then in verse 36 it says, When the Son makes you free. Oh man. Listen, you know when God says free indeed? Like it's God. Like God could just say free. And it's God. So if God says free, it's like... But when God God says free indeed? When God adds extra pointedness to His words, you need to get that. When Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, you need to be like, because everything God says is God. But when God says, hey, 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 listen! Free indeed. Free indeed. If there's anything in your life at all, that is binding you in any kind of captivity, spirit, soul, or body. It is not God's will. It is not God's desire. And God's Word wants to get into those places of your life and make you indeed free. I want to illustrate this I think that this is going to be a great illustration. Um, this will help to uh, sometimes, you know, illustrations do something that, that words not necessarily can do. A picture sometimes paints a thousand words. Sometimes I believe that a thousand words paint the most amazing picture. It depends on who you are. It depends on the moment. So I'm going to paint a picture for you. i got a video to play you that is going to illustrate some of the things that I'm talking about. So watch this. the likes. thanks Finished in the in a Greek, that's t telestai. It was used in the accounting world. That means that there is no more debt. They would stamp it on a bill paid in full. It was used in an artistic way when an artist lays down their their paintbrush and they say that this artwork is finished. Like one more stroke would make it not as beautiful. It was used in so many different fashions that there's all these applications in our lives. So when I say that the cross was finished, that it had an effect in your life, you need to understand that probably the, the to the degree that you've allowed that to be finished in your life is nowhere near to the degree of what Jesus paid for. Most of us understand the crucifixion about it being about nails and it being about whips and it being about crowns of thorns. Those are all physical things. What happened on the inside of Jesus Christ was a billion times more than what happened to His physical body. So when He says it's finished, I can assure you, He paid to the last penny what needed to be paid to produce freedom for you and I into all of eternity. Romans 6, 14 says, "...for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace." What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid! Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, His servants you are to whom you obey?" whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Use your freedom to yield yourself to the power and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God be thanked, verse 17, that you were the servants of sin. But now, but now, you have obeyed From the heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being then made free from sin, you become servants of righteousness. Thomas Paine said, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, Undergo the fatigue of supporting it. If you don't fight for your freedom, it is easily removed. I've seen people literally crippled up by arthritis so bad that they can't move. And one of the thoughts that I have is why didn't you fight against that when it started? Arthritis doesn't come on you in a day. It comes on you day after day, week after week, year after year, until you're so bound up. Why didn't you fight back then? Kay and I have this conversation at our house all the time. You get like a a symptom come on you, like a sniffle or, or something. And then you wait for it to get full blown before you fight on it. You know, if it comes, if the moment it comes, if you fight it the moment it comes. Look, the church was willing to lay down for the first two weeks. Because we're in a pandemic. So we can suspend the Constitution. We can remove the First Amendment. We can pretend like none of it exists because we're in a pandemic. It'll just be two more weeks. And it'll just be two more weeks. It'll just be two months. It'll just, it'll just, it's just two months. It'll just be two years. It's that you don't need church that bad. You can go online and do church. You don't need to gather together. You don't need to release gifts of the Spirit. We don't need to, you know, I can baptize you by Zoom. Get in your tub. I'll tell you when to go down and when to come up. And if you read the governor's plan, it literally is about a two-year plan to get the churches. If you have a church over 50 people, which we do, it's a two-year plan. The governor says it's a two-year plan for you to maybe go back to church. Do you think this is about a pandemic? You think this is about a virus? Come on, y'all. Please. Please. This is to prove that even the Christians don't believe in the kingdom. Even the Christians don't believe in the kingdom. And I don't want to say that. It doesn't bless my heart. But sometimes you need to see things in reality in order to actually do something about it. When I watch the church fold... When I watch Christians go and say, it's fine, it's the same thing. We can sit on our couch and have church. You don't believe that in your marriage. Right? If you're married, there's a reason you live in a house together. You share a bed. You share life. If you have children, you don't send them somewhere and and parent them by Zoom. They live with you. You do life together. There's things that happen in the room when you're hanging out, sharing experiences. There's things that happen in this room that you don't get in your car. That you don't get on your couch. There's things that happen here that are very important. God literally said, it is not good for man to be alone. It was the first thing ever in the Bible that he said was not good. And the government says, it's better, it's good for you to be alone. Remember social distancing, uh, abortion health care. Yeah, this is another redefinition. It's a good thing for you to be alone. God said it was a bad thing for mankind to be alone. Do you remember what one message the Father had to Pharaoh in the the book of Exodus? Anybody remember your your Sunday school lessons? Anybody, Anybody remember what the one message was that God had for Pharaoh, the most powerful leader on the planet? Let my people go! And Pharaoh said, no. It didn't turn out well for him. That's why I'm pretty encouraged that we're going to be winning this fight. Because my father wants his people free. (laughs) Dwight D. Eisenhower said, history does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or to the timid. The more weak you are, the more timid you are. The more likely your freedoms are going to be taken away. I used to run a bunch of restaurants. I had—I won't say—I had a bunch of restaurants in Dallas, Fort Worth. I was a division vice president for a billion-dollar restaurant corporation. I had thousands of employees, and I would come into my restaurants sometimes, and I'd have a little girl come in to to come to her assigned shift, and she'd come in and she'd be disheveled. And, you know, fat lip, black eye, pretty little thing. And I'd say, sweetheart, what happened? Uh, I fell. You didn't fall. Yeah, but he loves me, Steve. And I know everybody in this room is like, no, no, get out of there. Kay and I literally, I can give you names and phone numbers of gals that we took in those situations. We brought them into our home. They lived with us. We rescued them. And after months of living with us, seeing our marriage, seeing how we valued each other, seeing what it's supposed to look like, they'd leave and they were fine. For six months. And then they'd find that guy. For the life of me, I don't even know where you find that guy. Because if I find that guy, I kind of put my Christianity off to the side for five minutes. But they somehow find that guy. They go back into it. Why? Because slavery is easier to live in than freedom. Freedom has a cost. There's an expense to freedom and most people aren't willing to pay for it. So that gal will go back to that guy who's going to abuse them and devalue them because it's better living there than doing the fight that it takes to literally be free and have the life that they were created for. And I dare say that most of the Christian church is willing to lay down And take the beatings of the world, and take the beatings of the government, and take the beatings of Satan over the fight for liberty and freedom that Jesus was willing to purchase for you. And it's not okay. It's not okay. It is time for the men and the women that have been purchased in blood to stand for the right to live in freedom and liberty from oppression, depression, sickness, poverty, all of the things that the government is trying to do to you. This is the time. We are the people. This is the nation. This is the great awakening. We need to let freedom reign. I'm going to end with this. I'm just going to read you some verses in Jesus' name. This is James chapter
0: 1.
1: Stop laughing. James chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved... It's you. You're in the house of the beloved, so you're a beloved. Wherefore, my beloved... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. I love and honor J.B. Pritzker. And I know a bunch of you can't say that because you've allowed yourself to get into the wrath of man. I can say that with a clean conscience. I pray for him. I hate his policies. And I hate what he's doing to the freedom of the 13.1 million Illinoisans that I love. But I love the man. And I honor the man. Because I'm not going to get into the wrath of Steve. Because the wrath of Steve doesn't stop Pritzker, it stops Steve. Verse 21 because of this, wherefore means because of this, lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. I know that's kind of King Jamesy, but it just means any activity or thought process that creates anti-Christness or ungodliness. You can actually lay that aside. No, I have to sin. Says who? Can can someone please tell me? Where in the Bible does it say you have to sin? Because I can give you about 30 verses just quoting them. That says you're free from sin. Whosoever is born of God sinneth not. That's 1 John chapter 4. You, You have been told, I'm only human. Okay, well, here's the thing. Why don't you just go ahead and be born again, and then you're not only human. Because your father then would be God, which would make you not just only human, it'd make you the product of God. <laughs> That'll mess with you for a couple days. You're not only human, you were. And if you remember the were part, you screwed it all up. You were a terrible, terrible person. And then someone came and told you the good news that you can be born again and forgiven and you received that good news. And now you're a new person. And that new person doesn't have to sin. You don't have to sin. You don't have to fail. You don't have to be miserable. You don't have to deal with all the mental issues that they deal with. You don't need a therapist, you don't need a psychologist. You don't need whatever they tell you that you think that you need. I'm here to tell you all you need is God. He can do all that. It's not God plus a therapist. I know, some of you don't like that at all. But I have a therapist. God bless you. Lay apart all that stuff and receive with meekness. It's funny that I had to throw meekness in there for you to receive this. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. This is how the Father is going to fix you. He's going to tell you who you are. He's going to give you words and identity. Which is able to bring salvation to your souls. The word word save there is the word in the Greek sozo, which means prosperity, healing, deliverance, safety, and protection. It's a big word. Go look it up if you don't believe me. It means all that. When the Bible says saved, it actually means saved, healed, delivered, prospered. It's, It's this big old fat, huge, hairy word that God used that we think that it just means like you get to go to heaven at the end of your life. That's not what saved means. David was not saved, and he knew he was going to heaven at the end of his life. There's something that's completely different on this side of the cross versus that side of the cross. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You can deceive you. Did you know that? By hearing stuff like this and then going out there and allowing yourself to be put back into slavery. Well, that went over well. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Anybody ever looked in the mirror? All the ladies said amen. When you look in the mirror, you see exactly what you are. Right? A reflection of who you perfectly are. For he, verse 24, for he beholds himself and goes his way and then straightway forgets what manner of man he is. When you take your face off the mirror, all you have is a memory of what you looked like. This is how most Christians live. They take their face off of Jesus, and they take their face off of the Word of God, and they go by memory. And they forget what manner of man. This is how your identity gets stolen. Identity theft is not just about someone getting your social security number. It's about the world telling you who you're supposed to be. Verse 25, but whoso looks into the perfect law of. Huh. Did y'all know that was in the Bible? The mirror of the identity of what you're supposed to be is liberty. Liberty. So when the world takes away liberty and freedom from you, you realize it's literally destroying your divine identity. Literally. This isn't just a fight to get to church open, y'all. This ain't just a fight to do the First Amendment. This is a fight for the identity of every man, woman, and child that will ever come to God. Ever. For the rest of of American history. We're talking hundreds of millions or billions of people in the future that are going to look back on this moment, on this generation, on this church, and they're going to say, they saved us from going into the identity of slavery. And you get to put your name on that. History is going to talk about you. History is going to talk about you. Your father is already talking about you. Look at my kids. Look how proud I am. That they were willing to stand for me. And not be hung with a yoke of slavery. I'd like to speak a blessing over you. If you'd please rise. Rise.
0: Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of this precious, life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life.
1: Beloved, you who are greatly loved by the Father, I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you.